The paradigm for prostate cancer treatment is evolving. While there is an increasing desire to manage low-risk cancers without aggressive treatment, there is also a need to identify high-risk cancers and treat appropriately. In this CAPCAST interview, Dr. Sean Williamson, a surgical pathologist from the Henry Ford Health System, discusses the diagnostic challenges of evaluating prostate biopsy, the significance of neuroendocrine differentiation in prostate cancer, and recent consensus guidelines and classification schemes. Dr. Williamson and Dr. Giovanna Gianico will be teaching a course on this topic at CAP19, which will be held September 21st through the 25th in Orlando, Florida. Dr. Williamson, this course is described as focusing on challenging diagnostic areas in evaluation of prostate biopsies and radical prostatectomy specimens. What are the key takeaways participants will leave from this course? Uh, thank you. Well, so what we aim to do with this course is to illustrate some of the most common diagnostic dilemmas in prostate cancer pathology. So some of those dilemmas will include uh, introductal carcinoma and the differential diagnosis of introductal lesions, deceptively bland morphologies of prostate cancer, neuroendocrine differentiation in prostate cancer, and we'll hope to illustrate all of this with a large number of images and sort of case-based scenarios to walk the participants through some of these more common diagnostic challenges. What is the significance of neuroendocrine differentiation in prostate cancer? So neuroendocrine differentiation is really interesting and actually highly variable. So at the one end of the spectrum, you can have conventional prostate cancer, and if you use neuroendocrine immunohistochemical markers, it can show patchy positivity that, to our knowledge at the present time, seems to have no clinical significance. At the other end of the spectrum, you have highly aggressive prostate cancers that are basically identical to small cell neuroendocrine carcinoma uh, like that of the lung or of other organs. And those are highly aggressive and most often should be treated in a way similar to the equivalent of other organs like small cell lung cancer. So there's actually kind of a broad divide between some conventional prostate cancers that should be treated in the normal way that have focal positivity for neuroendocrine markers with no clinical significance. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have these highly aggressive tumors that need to be treated very aggressively. And so pathologists should be at least comfortable with this concept to know when and to use neuroendocrine markers and when not to use them. What is the significance of recognizing intraductal carcinoma in prostate biopsies? Introductal carcinoma has been an area that's gained a lot of interest recently, and it can be challenging because it can look a lot like high-grade uh, prostatic intraepithelial neoplasia, or PIN. And this is a big differential diagnosis because PIN, in general, doesn't have any significant treatment implications on its own. Urologists will actually not do very much differently than they would uh, if the diagnosis was totally benign when we report a diagnosis of PIN. So distinguishing introductal cancer from PIN is potentially quite significant, as introductal cancer is typically associated with high-grade and high-stage invasive cancer. So at minimum, patients with introductal carcinoma on a biopsy should at least have additional biopsies, and some clinicians would consider this enough to treat in and of itself. So again, there's kind of a wide divide between PIN and introductal cancer, which can look very similar to each other, but the treatment is actually very different. So again, pathologists who see prostate specimens should develop some sort of comfort with these entities to basically dial in the right treatment for the patients with introductal lesions. Now, can you share a bit about the reporting parameters that are most important for pathologists to utilize when preparing pathology reports and considering differential diagnoses? 
So one of the major areas where we as pathologists have a role in reporting parameters that will be helpful to clinicians is in the role of active surveillance. So when we report biopsies, there will be a clinical decision as to whether that patient could be eligible for active surveillance. And in the past, one of the most common sets of criteria for this was that the patient has no more than two or three positive biopsies out of their set of biopsies, and then none of the biopsies has involvement of more than 50%. And the grade would be the lowest possible grade, which has been called 3 plus 3 equals 6, or in the, in the new system is now known as a grade group 1, the lowest possible grade. However, this is evolving now, and some clinicians will use different schemes, including even some higher grade cancer. So some urologists or some treating clinicians would allow patients with even a 3 plus 4 equals 7 cancer, which is also known as a grade group 2, to potentially be a candidate for active surveillance. So being aware of what parameters that are being used at your institution to make a patient eligible for active surveillance could be something that would have implications when we're thinking about how we report prostate biopsy specimens. Another issue that can be challenging for us as pathologists is how to measure the amount of cancer in the biopsy. As I mentioned, sometimes 50% involvement of a biopsy is a criterion that's used. And uh, in the case where you have some benign tissue in the middle of the cancer, Uh, Do you just measure the cancer from end to end, in which case it might be more than 50%, or do you subtract that benign intervening area from the measurement, in which case it might be lower than 50%, and that decision may uh, change whether the patient's eligible for active surveillance or not. So that's an area that has some debate about how that measurement is used, and in the course we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the data that have been published to help in that scenario. Another situation that's changed in recent guidelines is that uh, the percentage of Gleason pattern 4 should be reported. So in the past, a 3 plus 4 equals 7 tumor and a 4 plus 3 equals 7 tumor were basically both considered 7 and considered to have sort of the identical grade when that would be plugged into the treatment decisions. But now in the new grading scheme, those are separated out as grade group 2 and grade group 3 respectively, and it's recommended that we as pathologists report the percentage of Gleason pattern 4 so that that could help clinicians decide their treatment plan for those patients. Finally, as part of this course, you will be discussing recent updates and new guidelines from the 2014 Consensus Conferences of the International Society of Urological Pathology and 2016 WHO Classification. Are there any gaps not covered by these guidelines, and how do you recommend pathologists implement these updates and guidelines into their practice? There do continue to be some gaps that are not fully addressed by these recent guidelines. For example, one issue that is not entirely resolved is how to assign a so-called tertiary or minor high-grade pattern in a radical prostatectomy specimen. So when you have three different grade patterns in the same specimen, some people would consider the third most prevalent one to be tertiary no matter how much of it there is. However, other authors would consider this only to be the tertiary or minor high-grade pattern if it constitutes less than 5% of the grades in the case. So this is something that has not been totally resolved by the recent consensus statements, but our approach is to use the less than 5% cutoff, explaining in the report that this remains somewhat controversial, but some published expert recommendations have used this less than 5% cutoff in the absence of definitive data. And there is some research that's been recently published uh, aiming to sort of clarify this situation, which we'll, we'll talk about in the course. Another knowledge gap in uh, prostate cancer grading is how to handle introductal cancer. The current recommendation is to exclude introductal cancer from the grade, and that comes from basically rare cases where the cancer is entirely introductal with no invasion, 
or it's extensively introductal and there's only a little bit of low-grade invasive cancer. And so in those cases, it might be excessive to include the introductal cancer in the grade, which would kind of imply a falsely high level of aggressiveness. However, this is actually kind of a rare scenario since most introductal cancers are associated with extensive, invasive, and high-grade cancer. And so at the present time, there's no conclusive evidence that it's better to subtract out the introductal cancer in that situation. And so our recommendation for this differential diagnosis would be to only pursue immunohistochemistry when there's uncertainty as to whether the entirety of the cancer might be introductal. If there is morphologically clear invasive cancer of a high grade that's associated with it, then it's probably unnecessary to perform immunohistochemistry to try to verify an introductal component, at least in most cases. Thank you, Dr. Williamson. Again, Dr. Williamson and Gianica will be teaching a course on this topic at CAP-19 entitled Challenging Areas in Prostate Pathology Interpretation. CAP-19 will be held September 21st through the 25th in Orlando, Florida. Thank you for listening to this CAPcast, and be sure to listen to our other CAPcasts from the CAP on our SoundCloud channel at soundcloud.com forward slash pathologist. And we're also now on iTunes. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes by searching for the word CAPcast in your iTunes store. Once you find our podcast, be sure to click the subscribe button so you don't miss any new CAPcasts.